appreciate it. All right, you guys can hear me. Look at the person next to you and tell them you're the most incredible looking person I've seen all day. Tell them. Encourage somebody today. We're going to change it up. Get relaxed. And Steve didn't mention two weeks ago, if you were here, the title of my message was Take It Off. He didn't want to see, say that. That was a little too edgy for him. But if you were here, you remember why I said that. If you didn't, now you really want to go check it off. You're like, they said, literally I had everybody screaming, take it off in church. It was great. If you missed it, you missed out. Um, but today we're going to continue that series, like he said. And if you are new or if it's your first time here, whether you're here in the room or you're watching us online, my name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors in our Water's Edge family of churches, one of the pastors here at Central. And today we're going to jump right into two main passages. We're going to springboard out of Proverbs chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Proverbs chapter 3. And then for our example of what God's talking about in Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to make a run to the origin story of our faith in the book of Genesis. But we're going to jump to Genesis chapter 22 for the bulk of our time today. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter what? Hey, good job. That was way better. You can tell you are more well rested than the last service. And while you are turning to Genesis chapter 22, I want to give you a quick update because one of my roles with our family of churches is I get to work with and serve our international churches and get to partner with Pastor Craig and Travis with all our domestic campuses and churches. And I'm wearing my Zeal jacket. If y'all remember, I also get to serve with our campus down in Kingston, Jamaica called Zeal. That's why it says Zeal. It's not because I live in Zealand, even though I love to feel me some Zeal. That's what I'm talking about. I feel like I'm at home up here. Um, but Zeal, we are having our first in-person gathering next Sunday in almost a year and a half due to the pandemic down in Jamaica. Yeah. So we're, ex yeah. Woo! Ha! If you, if you see this Z throughout the message or you think about it today, just say a prayer for us. Because even just a couple weeks ago, the prime minister kind of locked things back down. So we're having a, you know, they say, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be stressed. We're trying to be very flexible and like work with it. We have maximums of people we're working with, still max, mask mandate and all that. But just pray for us because we are believing for God to do something great. And don't worry, I'm still going to be coming up. Like my wife and I are still making the move up here. We're just going to be doing the back and forth as we're kind of weathering the pandemic down in the Caribbean. And then I also wanted to shout out, we are launching a brand new campus, um, planning a brand new church just south of Nashville, Tennessee. Tennessee. Good Lord. Y'all tell me I'm from the south, ain't y'all? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so. We're launching a brand new campus, the church down in Tennessee called The Well. Next weekend it launches. Can we just give God a hand that we are a part of a movement of churches that even, guys, I'm sorry I'm so excited. Like, it's just, ah, even during a pandemic, we're launching churches. We're planting churches. I don't know if you know this, that doesn't happen. Like, we network with a lot of pastors around the country and around the world. That's not happening right now. People aren't planting churches right now. Churches, some are actually having to close their doors. We are a part of a movement of God that goes beyond these pews, these walls, this city. And God is doing something special through the DNA and heartbeat of this church. And I'm so grateful to be here and be a part of it today. Aren't you guys? Woo! It's good. This side is. This side, we're going to get there. I'm, gonna, I'm just, guys, you're in the word. I'm coming at y'all today. But as we look at Proverbs today, kind of this last point, just a simple one, almost borderline cliche, the verses I'm going to cover today. But they're, they're cliche because they're true. They're true because they're in God's word. But I memorized them a long time ago. This is different for me, right? Y'all are like, he doesn't normally sit down. He runs all over the stage. Um, the camera people paid me just to sit down one service so they don't have to keep doing this. 
But in Proverbs chapter three, there, there's a, a famous two verses that I actually memorized in Bible drills back in the day. I've told you guys before, I confessed my nerdism. Uh, I was a nerd as a kid and I went to Bible camp and I memorized Bible verses and they gave me candy for saying verses. Parents, if you want your kids to learn the Bible, literally just bribe them, it's great. Um, they actually, y'all know like back in the Torah days when kids would reach the age of eight years old and start studying the Bible, they would actually cover the tablet of their Bible and honey, and it was the first time they allowed their kids to have honey, would be when they started to learn the word of God. That's where what we sang came from. It's like honey on our lips. Back in the day, they wouldn't give their kids anything sugar, anything sweet, until they first heard, felt the tablet where they would learn the word of God, and they would literally lick the honey off the tablet, and the rabbis would say, so is the word of God to your soul, like honey on your lips. That's why we sing that, isn't that cool? Um, and so like as a kid, I learned the word of God and I learned this verse, but I memorized it in uh, KJV, King James. Anybody remember the old King James version? Yeah, we don't really study that one much anymore because it's got the these, thous, and those and all that in it. But that's how I memorized it. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. More modern translations would say he will make thy path straight. He will make your path straight. How many of us love that promise? Like, if we trust the Lord with all our heart, lean not our understanding, all our ways acknowledge Him. Yes, two of you, thank you. Nope, too late. Um, he, will, he will make your path straight. And some of us, like, that doesn't land, but for some of us that live some life, that has a, that lands. Because life can feel like, oh, I fell in love. Oh, they broke my heart. I want this job. Oh, I got fired. I failed this test. I don't get into this school. And life can feel like this zigzag all over the place. Like, what am I doing? Where am I going? I don't know what's happening. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, if you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your understanding, God will make your paths straight. How nice would it feel in life to just wake up and be like, God, path for today. And God's like, go eat there, talk to that person, be with them, do dinner here, right? Make sure you encourage this coworker. And, and there's a way in which we live where God will straighten out, where he will direct our paths. And we love the promise. But did you catch what it takes to get to the promise? Starts trust in the Lord. How many of us have trust issues? Anybody? No one? Because you don't trust to admit it in church? Or like, he'll use this against me, right? Thank you. She, honest, he's like, trust issues, yeah, right? Like, she broke up with me in fifth grade, trust issues. Like, most of us have trust issues. And, and, and for God to direct us step by step. And if you're not a Christian, you don't speak Christianese, you're not familiar with church, maybe you're just checking this out or tuning in online. Like God directing us is a great thing. If you believe there is a God, you believe that there is a being, a creature, an essence that created everything you can see, feel, touch, or experience. Every atom and fiber of your being was created by this greater being, the God of the universe. And if there is a God, it would be no better way to live than for him to direct your steps. Because he created all of time and existence. He's the three O's, omniscient, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He knows all, therefore he knows what's best for you. So what better thing than to have the God of the universe direct your steps? That's why we're kind of obsessed with it if you're not a Christian. Like that would be awesome. But it starts with trust and we could all admit that's kind of hard. But I love that the author of this proverb, Solomon, says trust in the Lord. And then he kind of like pushes it a little bit. He says with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And when we read that, we're like, oh, it's like a Hallmark card, right? Like, I love you with all of my heart, God. But do we? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about the heart, right? The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart is also. So you could translate the verse, trust in the Lord with all your money. 
Pastor Craig got real quiet when I said that. He's just like, pin drop, right? Like, don't worry, this isn't a money message. But I'm just saying, like, if, if where your treasure is, your heart is also trust the Lord with all your heart means trust the Lord with all your money. If you're not trusting the Lord with your money, you're not trusting the Lord with all your heart. Therefore, he probably won't direct your path. <sighs> That's the whole sermon you, some of you needed. You can leave right there. The Bible says, out of the mouth the heart speaks. So trust in the Lord with all your words. How do you speak? How do you speak to people in your anger? We covered that a couple weeks ago, right? Like, are we trusting him with our hearts, with our words, with all the things? So trust the Lord with all your heart. But then there's this, the, this second part of the seesaw, right? There, there's the second part of the equation. Trust with all your heart. And then he says, but lean not into your own understanding. So like, there's two ways we can lean. We talked about it two weeks ago, like kingdom down or culture up. Like we can live our lives and lead our everyday lives, kingdom down or culture up. And he's saying we can lean towards the kingdom, towards God, or we can lean towards the world and, it, and its culture and our, our worldly understanding. And so if we want God to direct our paths, if we want God's blessing, if we want the good vibes that come from following Jesus in his direction, it starts with trusting God with all of our hearts and whatever we think is right in our own might and in our own understanding, we must lean away from that and into God and his wisdom. And that feels counterintuitive, right? It's like, wait, we as Christ followers are supposed to be seeking knowledge. We're supposed to be seeking wisdom. And yes, as we get to know the heart of God and the wisdom of God, then we press into his wisdom and his heart. Again, we lean on him. But apart from God and apart from his wisdom, the Bible actually tells us that the wisdom of the world is like foolishness to God. And the wisdom of God seems like foolishness to the world. So we're always in this juxtaposition. Where it's like, oh, the world says I should do this. My flesh says I should do this. Even my own intellect leans this way. But to get God to direct my path, there has to be this understanding that I'm going to lean away from what I think is right and towards what God's word tells me. And I got to thinking about this. I was like, man, what an amazing passage. What an amazing example of real, where real wisdom is found. Where real like good vibes in your life can really ebb and flow. But I thought, where, where do we see this fleshed out in scripture? Like, where does this really happen? And so I thought of a story in Scripture, and I wanted to take it to this level, because when we say the word trust in the Lord with all our heart, like, how many of us would say it would be way easier to trust God if we could just hear His voice? How many of you would be like, if God would just speak audibly to me, it would be easy to trust Him? Would anybody admit that? How many of you want to hear the audible voice of God? You're like, man, I would, I would have no doubts if God just spoke out of the heavens, right? You're like, if God just spoke, it would be really easy to trust Him. First off on that, people have asked me, like, Corey, have you ever heard the audible voice of God? I have not. I've had, like, the, I would call it, like, the secret place kind of whisper nudge of the Holy Spirit in prayer where I feel like he's telling me something. But I have not had God go, like, Corey. Right? <laughs> and I borderline don't want it because the Bible says that when God speaks, universes are born. He's literally the star breather. Like when he spoke in the Old Testament, mountains shook, fire and clouds came down from the sky. Like I honestly think if I heard the audible voice of the Lord, I'd mess myself. Like I would just, ah. And we're all, like those of you that are like, I just want to see angels. No, you don't. Like when you read the Bible, the first thing they say is don't freak out. Don't be afraid. They are terrifying creatures. We pray these spiritual prayers like show me angels, show me demons. Here, let me hear your voice. Just stop praying those prayers. Because <laughs> you probably really don't want it. But a lot of us think, oh, it would be so much easier to trust God if we heard his audible voice. Side note, if you're ever praying like, God, tell me what to do with my life. Sometimes I feel like God's going, I wrote it down. 
And we're like, but make it easier. And he's like, I'll give you free public education in North America where you can learn to read. How's that? And it's just, it's crazy. It's so much easier to hear the voice of God. <laughs> Seriously, we're like, no, but I'm lazy. Um, but there's an example, there's several examples in scripture of this. And the first one that came to mind was in Genesis chapter 22. And so we're going to run to Genesis chapter 22 and we're going to camp out there today to see what it looks like to trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and watch him direct your paths. Because that's exactly what he does for this guy in this story. Genesis chapter 22 starting in verse 1 reads this. And after these things God tested Abraham. Pause. After a sentence like that, what should you ask? What things, as we say in Jamaica, wagwan, my brethren, what things, right? Like, what things happened, right? And just read the, like, it, could only, it would take you five minutes to read what things he's talking about. But I'll give you, like, the one-minute Cliff Notes version. God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1, 1. There's a poem in Genesis in Hebrew. I bet you didn't know that. The creation story was actually a Hebrew poem. It wasn't necessarily written to be scientific, scientifically accurate as much as it was written to be memorable, like a song. Genesis chapter 1 was a poem about the creation story. Then we got Adam and Eve. Then we got the fall of mankind and Adam and Eve in the garden. Ah, amazing story. Can't wait to preach on that one day soon. And then you have the generations of man, you have a lot of people coming from that. And it rolls all the way up to this guy named Abram. Abram gets a promise from God that you will be the father of my people. And God changes his name. He shifts his name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham literally means the father of nations. But check it, for like decades, Abraham had no kids. That's embarrassing. <laughs> hey, I'm father of many nations. Where's your kids? I don't have any. That's like being called like giant man and you're 5'1". It's like, uh, you, your parents had faith, right? Um, and so like Abraham's walking around. And then he gets a wife. Her name's Sarah. So he's like, hey, we're making progress, right? He gets his wife, Sarah. But then Sarah's barren. She doesn't have any kids. And she can't have kids. And they start getting old. And then Abraham takes his life into his own hands. He starts leaning into his own understanding. And then Abraham's wife, Sarah, gives her husband, her servant, to sleep with. He has an illegitimate child with his wife. Guys, the Bible is like a telenovela. It's like Young and the Restless, like Days of Our Lives times 10. Check out scripture if you're ever bored. It's amazing. So then they have this illegitimate child named Ishmael. Ishmael grows and then he leaves. And then late in life, like miracle baby status, like crazy, like late, 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 late in life, Sarah gets pregnant. Ah, and the, right? And then the Bible says her name, the name of the child is to be Isaac. It was prophesied about. And Isaac means laughter. That's what that name means. When they, it's like they had the baby and they're like, <laughs> it finally happened, right? So they have little laughter, they have Isaac, and Isaac starts growing up. And then that sends us into Genesis chapter 22. So he's saying, after all this, and the reason that's valuable to know is because Abraham had seen the roller coaster of life. He had seen what it was like when he trusted in the Lord and leaned not into his own understanding how God directed. And he's seen what it was like when he didn't trust in God and life got crazy. Okay, so he's saying, after all that, God tested Abraham. How many of us like a good test? No hand. Oh, two of us. See, that was me. That was me. Like, why do we take tests? In scholastics and school? The reason you're tested is to see if you learned, absorbed, and can apply what you were taught to see if you're ready for the next level. If you did not learn it, if you did not absorb it, and you cannot apply it, you are not ready for the next level in life. 
That's why we get tested. So like in school, I was like, you two. I was like, man, give me that Scantron. Let's go. I'm about to show y'all. I want to skip the next grade, right? Did y'all know it's the same way in life? If God wants to take you to the next level in life, he will test you. And many of us push back from the tests of God. Some of that's because we don't understand that there is a strong difference between testing and tempting. The Bible says God cannot be tempted and God also will not tempt you. But that doesn't mean that as the enemy or your flesh tempts you, that God will not use what was meant for evil for good. If you can withstand that temptation. But many of us want God to do great things in our life. Like many of us are like, I want to be like King David. I want to be like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like, ah, you know, to say that you're saying, I want God to test me. And tests outside of the three of us aren't fun for the rest of us. But if we want God to blow up Central and reach Holland and reach Southwest Michigan and literally change the face of a state and a nation, if we want to see God move mightily in the world through us, we're literally saying, God, here we are, test us, we're ready for the next level. Tests aren't always fun. And so here God says, okay, Abraham, I know you've been through these ups and downs. And if you're Abraham, you're going, I have arrived. I obviously passed the test. I have my son Isaac, but the test had really just begun. He said, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, there's an exclamation point. So you have to yell it. You have to, um, right? You ever just read the Bible and you're like, God said, Abraham. No, he didn't. He said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. I love that response. God said, Abraham. Abraham said, what's up? Here I am, God. I know this seems small, but that's a that's like a polar opposite from his predecessor's response. God came into the garden after the fall of man. And what did he say? He said, Adam, just like he called out to Abraham, he said, Adam, no response. And then God said, where are you? Is that because God didn't know where Adam was? No. It's because he knew Adam and Eve were hiding in shame. But here God says, Abraham. And Abraham responds immediately, here am I. I'm right here, God. Many of us don't respond to the calling of God because we're hiding in shame. But like Adam, many of us ha don't go to church for lengths of time because we're ashamed of something. Many of us don't serve because we think we're disqualified because of shame. Shame will always keep you from the call of God. And I would hope some of us like today are like Abraham here and no matter the ups and downs, he slept with his wife's servant. Men, how many of you have done that? Don't admit it. But if you haven't, you got one up on Abe. Right? And God calls out to this man, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. Today, I hope that's some of your response to God today. Maybe during worship while Vaughn and Hannah and Brooke and the team were singing. Maybe during this preaching as we open up God's word, you will hear God call out to you. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Bob. Hey, Cherie. And I would pray that your response would be like Abraham. Here I am. I'm right here, God. It's like when we say, here I am, God, send me. Any of y'all ever prayed that prayer? Like, God, here I am, send me. It sounds so spiritual, right? Until God actually wants to send you somewhere. Anybody ever come to church for a long time? You're like, God, use me. Use me, God. I just want to be used. That's like the most spiritual prayer you can pray. But then God's like, all right, I want to use you in kids' ministry. And you're like, ah, about that. Or like, I want to use you in guest services. And you're like, I don't know, I kind of want to sing. And he's like, I didn't give you that gift. But anyway, so like, and, and like, 
and we like push back. And then what happens? We actually go, okay, God, use me. He's like, I want to use you in guest services. Then we volunteer and we sign up for that opportunity and we serve for three months. And then we leave a church and somebody's like, why did you leave the church? And you're like, I just felt used. And God's like, isn't that what you asked for? Isn't that crazy? Like, it's just, anyways, so, <laughs> so he says, here I am. And, and how many of us said it would be easier to trust God if we could hear his voice? Oh, nobody said that because you read ahead? Nobody will admit you just said that a second ago. Okay, yeah, why? Because Abraham vocally hears from God in verse 2. This is God speaking to Abraham. He said, hey, Abraham, he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains, which I shall tell you. Did y'all catch that? God said, Abraham, Abraham says, sup. He said, Abraham, I want you to go on a road trip with your son. Sweet, and kill him. Now, as I read that, some of us don't read our Bibles, and we don't know this story, and we go, whoa. That doesn't sound like the God I know. You know, this is one of the main passages some of my, like, atheist friends and some of your atheist friends would use for why they don't believe in God. Like, how would a God tell his number one follower, his number one fan to, to kill his own son? Child sacrifice. It's in the Bible. God calls out to Abraham. And we're like, it'd be so easy to trust you, God, if you just spoke to me. Okay. Because here's the other part of this. Like, if you grew up in church, we say it all the time. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? We've all heard that. So you could literally cry out to God today and be like, God, speak to me. And God can kneel down to you and say, okay, I want you to drive down to Sagatuck, Sagatuck, or however tuck you say that word. <laughs> Makatawa, Makatawa, I don't know these names. I love them. It's really cool and creative. But, but he could say, hey, I want, I, I want you to drive down there and um, your kid, you just sacrifice him. And we, we hear that. Like maybe some of you read this and like some of the non-believers or atheists would be like, no, 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 no. I am not about that kind of God. I didn't know that was in the Bible where if I did, I surely would have figured something out. Like that, that doesn't sound like God because it raises the question like what box do you put God in? Like what box today are, are we putting God in? Like what drawer are we tucking our God away in? Like some of us like the blessing drawer, right? Like we put God in the blessing drawer, like the blessing box. Like whenever I need God, I open my blessing drawer and go, God, will you please bless my marriage? God, will you please bless me? God, will you please bless me? And when I don't need a blessing, I just put God back in his little drawer. Now here's the deal. God is a blessing God. God does bless. That's not all he does. Some of us are like, well, God's my helper, right? I go to God every time I need help. He's like my spiritual Santa Claus. Every time I need some help, I'm like, hey, God, what's up? Been a while. Hey, can I get your help with this at work? And we open the blessing drawer or we open the helper drawer. We're like, God. And then once we get the help we need from God, we're like, thank you, God. I'll, I'll talk to you in six months at Christmas. We all have a box we try and squeeze God in. I would say kind of first on this point, if you can fit God in your box, he's not much of a God. If you can understand an infinite being, He's probably not infinite. There should be some aspects of God when you read the Bible, you go, what? We shouldn't be able to wrap our minds around an infinite being if we are finite. See, even when it comes to Jesus, we put Jesus in a drawer. 
We, many of us are really cool with baby Jesus. Like, how many of you love Christmas? You just Christmas, right? By the way, we're already planning our Christmas here at Central, and it's going to be amazing. Alec and the creative team, Kim, and all this, it's going to be the best Christmas ever. I'm putting a ton of pressure on them. But show up, invite everybody, it's going to be awesome. But many of us love baby Jesus. Why? Because he's manageable, right? Nine pounds, six ounce, Talladega Nights, baby Jesus. And we're like, Christmas, Jesus. Many of us love uh, Savior Jesus, right? We, we, we're like, Jesus, you're the Savior. That's who you are. So when I'm feeling bad or I know I've messed up, I can go to Jesus on the cross because he'll forgive me, but I ain't following him. Y'all know that baby Jesus is no longer a thing? That was a momentary Jesus. You know Jesus on a cross is no longer a thing? It actually frustrates me that the cross is the symbol of our faith. The cross is where Jesus died. It's where the world won and where Jesus surrendered. Yes, we're grateful for the cross. Yes, we're thankful for the blood that was shed on the cross. But if all we have is the cross, we have nothing. We have absolute, the symbol of our faith is an empty tomb. That's the symbol of our faith. We have the one and only God that rose from the grave. But we like sacrificial Jesus, but you know who Jesus is now? I've said this before. It says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father with eyes like fire and a flaming sword coming out of his mouth. And his robe dipped in the blood of his enemies with a tattoo on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Riding a white horse coming to roll hard against anybody that would dare stand against him. That's the Jesus in the Bible. That's the Jesus we worship right now. But we like, we like baby Jesus, Savior Jesus. What about King Jesus? What about the God of the Bible? And you read this and it's take your son, your only son Isaac who you love and go and sacrifice him. And you're like, how, what, what, how does this align with God is love? How does this align with John 3.16? And then it says, verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. Abraham didn't even push back. He wasn't like, God, my only son, how about my cattle? How about you get all my cows, right? He wasn't like, God, like, instead of Isaac, can I give you Sarah? She's kind of old. Like, it's, it's almost over for her anyway. Like, like, he didn't say any of that. I love that the, the narrative tells us he went to sleep. How many of you, if you heard the audible voice of God, you probably couldn't sleep? Much less if that audible voice of God told you to sacrifice your child. And Abraham, he didn't just go to sleep. Homeboy woke up early as if to say, put the coffee on, Sarah, time to kill Isaac. Like, he didn't flinch at it. And what we do with Scripture so often, why it doesn't make sense, is because we pull a scene of the narrative. We pull just a moment in God's story out of the story and we go, look at this, this doesn't make sense. And many of us that have friends that are non-believers or some of us that have struggled with scripture, we do that. We take a part of the Bible and we pull it out of context and we say, look at this, look at what this is, this doesn't make any sense, I can't believe in that God. And, and we get in circles and we all agree about it and we're like, yeah, it can't be real. But would you do that with like your favorite movie? Like, I really like Guardians of the Galaxy, if any of you have ever seen that movie. That is not official central endorsement of that movie. That's just Corey likes Marvel films. 
But if you had never read a Marvel comic, if you had never seen a Marvel movie, and I took, there's a scene in Guardians of the Galaxy where they're like dancing to some 80s music, you know? And they're just dancing. It just turns into like a dance party for like four minutes. If I just took that scene and you had never had any reference and I showed you that, you were like, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy's dance movie. No! You totally took the scene out of context and you can't judge the whole movie by a scene. That's what scripture is. Some of us don't understand God in his heart because we, we take pieces of scripture out of context. And we don't realize God sat out of time and he revealed his character slowly to us throughout time, which ultimately came to fruition in Jesus Christ. So for us to understand this, we got to understand the context. Because right here we're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't know I served the type of God that would require us to kill our children. That's in the Bible. God said that to Abraham. But to understand it, you got to understand the context. See, this was not primitive man, but this was early mankind. In early mankind, those that didn't follow God, you got to understand, they were an agrarian society. In other words, they were farmers. Farmers or hunters. So the only way, if you lived in that time, that you ate and lived, the only way you lived is if you could harvest food or hunt food. And quickly, humanity realized that in order for you to harvest and hunt food, said food has to get water. And when the rivers dry up and the aquifers are gone, guess where the water comes from? The heavens. Rain. And so early man, humanity realized that our survival is dependent on something out of our control. We cannot control when it rains and when it doesn't. So literally early man realized there's something bigger than us that we are dependent on. Hence religion, gods, lowercase c gods. So they came up with God, oh, there must be a higher power. There must be these gods in control. And we need the gods to provide the rain. So when the gods provide the rain, you would say thank you, and you would take some of your harvest or some of your cattle, and you would sacrifice it to say thank you to the lowercase g gods. But here's the deal. You never knew if the gods were satisfied. You never knew. So you would think you were offering a sacrifice, but there was always anxiety because you never knew how the gods felt. Hey, I'm sacrificing. Was that enough? And then if it's a drought, what do you do? I got to sacrifice more. I got to sacrifice. There's anxiety. Religion always leads to anxiety, by the way. Religion always leads to anxiety. Some of you think the God of the Bible is like this. I got to sacrifice enough. I got to live a certain way. I got to do enough things and then God will be happy with me and pour his blessing down. That is not the God of the Bible. That is religion. And it always leads to anxiety. But then what would happen? So you would thank God's when it rained. When it wasn't rain, you would sacrifice. And what's the biggest thing you can sacrifice? Your child. That's why child sacrifice has been on the fringes of religion ever since mankind came around. Practicing the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire. It, it literally, some societies still practice it today. And it's awful. It's atrocious. So God shows up in this context of tribalism where they were sacrificing even their children to gods. And he comes to Abraham and he says, hey, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. And Abraham doesn't flinch because this is normal in the society he lives in. But check this out. It says he gets up, he saddles his donkeys. Verse 4, after he gets the wood and everything, verse 4, and on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay over here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Did you catch that? He said, 
me and Isaac are going to go up there and we're going to come again to you. We're going to go up on the hill and we're going to come back. It's as if Abraham was in on the joke. It's as if Abraham knew, I know God's telling me to sacrifice Isaac, but there's no way God would go back on his promise. The, the New Testament infers that Abraham had the faith that even if he had to sacrifice Isaac, God could have brought him back because he had been promised Isaac. And so he says, hey, we're gonna go and we're gonna come back. Crazy faith already. And then he says in verse six, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, that's key. And he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, yo, dad, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? That's just funny to me. Like the Bible's funny sometimes. Like Isaac has done this before. They had done sacrifices before. And so Isaac's walking with Abe, his dad, and he's got all the wood and his dad's got the torch with the fire and the knife. And Isaac's like, yo, dad. He's like, what's up, son? And he's like, hey, I see we got like everything, but uh, where the lamb at? <laughs> like, he's like, I know something's gotta die. So, <laughs> and, and again, check out Abraham's response. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering for my son. God didn't say that. But Abraham had faith already that God would be faithful to his promise. So again, it's like Abraham's in on the joke, verse 9. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now church, this is when it gets real. I mean, it's kind of cute, we can laugh and stuff, but this is not a made up parable. This is not a fairy tale. This is a historical account. How do we know? Because the nation of Israel exists today. They all came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like, it's real. This actually happened. And so they get to the top of this hill, and we, we picture this wrong, and we don't quite understand it. The Jewish faith refers to this story as the Akidah. The Akidah. Everybody say Akidah on the count of three. One, two, three. There you go. You speak some Hebrew. The, the Akidah means the binding. So the Jews don't focus on Abraham in this story as much as maybe they focus on Isaac. Why? Because many of us picture Abraham as this old man and Isaac as this young boy, but that wasn't the case. It said Abraham laid the wood on Isaac and Isaac carried the wood up the hill, up the mountain. There was a significant amount of wood required for a burnt offering. In other words, Isaac was a full-grown man, at least in his late teens, more than likely in his 20s or 30s. So when Abraham said, come here, Isaac, I need to bind your hands. If Isaac didn't want to get bound, he wasn't getting bound. Isaac could have taken out his 100-year-old dad. He said, no, you're crazy. No, no, absolutely not, dad. But it said, he offered his hands and his feet. And he was bound. And then he laid on an altar. waiting to die. And it gets even more intense. That's not where it stopped. It says, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. 
Isaac's laying on the wood, hands and feet tied. His own dad is standing over him with a knife in this culture of child sacrifice. His dad raises the knife, and then it says, verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. So dope. At the calmest points of his life and at the most like anxious, crazy points of his life, Abraham's response to God is, I'm right here. I'm right here. Here am I, God. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as his burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called the name of the place Yahweh Yireh. Yahweh Yireh. The Lord will provide. In English we would say Yahweh Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. See, when you read this story out of context and you go, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your understanding, all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You go, whoa, I don't want to trust in the God that tells me to kill my children. But again, God exists outside of time. He's revealing his character in time through us. And if we will trust him, he will reveal more of himself pointing ultimately to his son, Jesus. And so in this story, Abraham followed God in every single step all the way up to the point where he was about to sacrifice his son. And God said, stop, hold up, wait a minute. I would never let you kill your son. I will provide a sacrifice for you. When Abraham went and told this story to the tribes around him, they were shocked. Wait, your God doesn't require sacrifice? Your God provides the sacrifice? And it changed In a second, the worship team's gonna come on up and, and we're gonna sing a song called Jaira. And there's a line in that song that says, And I will be content in every circumstance because you are Yahweh Yireh. You are Jaira. You are the God who provides. The reason we can trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not into our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge Him and trust that He will direct our paths is because He is Jaira. But today I wanted to remind some of you, many of us may, like Abraham, be tempted to have idols in our lives. Isaac very well could have been an idol for Abraham. Oh, my one and only son, this is the son of the promise. This is all I've ever wanted. The one to carry all my lineage and legacy. Isaac, Isaac, Isaac. And God would say, thou shalt have no idol before me, even your children. Some of us say, I just want to get married. I just want to get married. Oh, if I could just have this career, if I could just have this career. And God would say, thou shalt have no idols before me. What today do some of us need to bind up and put on the altar and leave? Some of us need to just say, hey, God, I like those things, but I love you. And even if I don't get those things, you are Jaira. You are the God who will provide what I need. So I will not lean on my own understanding, but I will lean on you because you are the God that actually provides. 
And as we hear this, some of us are like, man, that's crazy. Like, I still can't believe you asked him to do this. But do, did you catch the story? There was a son that was prophesied about. His name was given before he was born. The son was born a miraculous miracle baby. Then God said, the son must be sacrificed. Your one and only son, Abraham, whom you love, Isaac, must be sacrificed. Then they went on a three-day journey where in Abraham's mind, Isaac was as good as dead. And then Isaac was laid on an altar. Guys, I'm sorry we're going long, but like every... Abraham raised the knife over Isaac. And God said, don't you dare. Thank you for your faithfulness. But I would never let you sacrifice your son. He stayed the knife on Abraham's son. And then a couple thousand years later, on Mount Moriah, the temple was built by Solomon. And then years and years later, just up from that hill, there was a hill called Golgotha. And there was a prophecy about of a son who would come. And his name was given before he came. His name was Jesus. And he was born a miraculous baby, a miracle birth. And then he lived an amazing life as a son of the promise. And then on Golgotha, right by Mount Moriah, God's son was laid on an altar called the cross. And when Abraham raised the knife over Isaac and God said, don't you dare, I would never let you kill your son. Don't worry, Abraham, you don't have to kill your son because I'll kill mine. I get emotional here because like, I'm Isaac, you're Isaac. We all deserve to be on the altar. We all deserve to be on that cross. And God said, look, 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 I'm not like the other gods where you got to pay for it. I'm not like the other gods where if you give enough, you'll get something. I'm the God who provides. I am Yahweh Yireh. I am Jehovah Jireh. And whatever you need to get to me, I will come to you. You do not have to drop the knife. I will on my son, Jesus. And he was dead for three days. But he rose from the grave, proving that God is faithful with his promises. Therefore, we trust in the Lord with all our hearts. And we don't lean to our own understanding because in every way he provides in every way he keeps coming through that's why some of us today maybe we need to bind up some idols and put them on there and we walk out the doors leaving them here maybe it's an addiction maybe it's a habit maybe it's a relationship whatever it is we need to put it there but some of us today need to Romans chapter 12 it I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God and just like those guys that got baptized we don't stay in in the water. We don't stay on the altar, but alive.
alive in Christ, we raise. And on Monday, the way you work is your worship. On Wednesday, the way you study is your worship. On Thursday, the way you speak to your spouse is the way you worship. And we, like Isaac, are living sacrifices that get to get up. Oh God, you're Jireh. You provide. And some of you today have a need. And as we sing out this song together to end our time, I just pray that maybe you would acknowledge that he can provide your need. He is more than enough. He's always been enough. Because even when the world says you got to sacrifice, you're not good enough, God would say, hey, but I'm enough. And I will send my son on the altar in your place. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In every single way, acknowledge him. And today, he will direct your paths. Church family, will you stand with me? Father, right now, we sing out to you. We worship you. We're so grateful that you are Jireh, God. And right now, as we just kind of sing this anthem, because you are worthy of our energy. You are worthy of our affection. You are worthy of our adoration. God, we sing it in light of your truth that you would never allow Abraham to drop the knife because you dropped the knife. And so God, today over every need in the house, over every need watching online, we sing out Jireh, that you are worthy because you are the provider. So God, right now as we sing this out together, I pray in Jesus' name that you would hear your people's praises and you would receive it with a smile. In Jesus' name we sing.